This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. All right, come on, you're loudest. Elevate! Excellent, excellent. We are continuing in our Little Black Book series tonight. I hope you're as excited as I am. This is week four, titled, Being is Greater Than Getting. And that's going to make a little bit more sense here in a few minutes. But I want to open with an article that I found fascinating. We are going to talk tonight briefly about how to know when you're ready to date or not date. And so I was just like curious. I was like, I wonder what... Society, what does the culture around us say are the signs of when you're not ready to date? And I found this. This is from eHarmony.com, and it is written by a Melanie Schilling, and she is noted her title on eHarmony is the relationship strategist. Ooh. I was like, oh man, she's about to unpack some profound stuff for me right now. And here you go. Here are the three signs that you know if you're not ready to date. Sign number one hit me, Melanie. Give me that deep stuff. Number one, your inner voice says no. (laughs) What does that mean? Your inner voice says no? Like, is your inner voice, like, cosmically attuned to something that you mentally are not? Like, what does it know that that your inner voice is as intelligent or stupid as you are? Right? And let's, let's be straight up honest. All your inner voice is is just your emotions. It's just your feelings. What the problem is, is that too many people have an inner voice that are saying yes for all the wrong reasons. All right. All right, Melanie, we'll give you a pass. Mulligan, number one. All right. What's number two? Dating feels wrong. <laughs> Melanie, you're killing me here. Come on, relationship strategist. What's the problem with this? It's this redundant of number one. It's all about feelings, right? I know. And then number three actually makes a little sense. Number three, you keep making the same dating mistakes. All right, you get one, Melanie. One out of three. Good job, 33%. F. So the world offers us weird, subjective, ambiguous, toilet scum advice on love and dating. The world, let's not forget, the world is celebrating, I don't know if celebrating is the right word, they're sporting a divorce rate at 53%. So they have a 47%. That is an F on any test. The world is failing at what love is. So we're going to turn, instead of looking to the world, which is a loser at love, we're going to turn to scriptures that celebrate the God of love and pick up some advice tonight. Let's turn to scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 8. Now, you're going to recognize this chapter because it's called the love chapter. We read from these verses recently. This is that chapter that says love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc., etc. And that idea ends with love never fails or love never ends. And we're actually going to pick up there and keep reading tonight. So the context is how valuable love is. It is valuable beyond everything else 
that we can, that, that God gives us of the gifts. So let's pick up. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never ends. Or some translation says, love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So he's comparing really good things that are temporary to love that is enduring, unending, unfailing. Verse 9, for we know in part, or when you see the word in part, imagine that word as incomplete. Our knowledge is incomplete, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial, the incomplete, will pass away. Verse 11, pick this up. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. Our understanding of love. Remember, it's partial. It's incomplete. We see it like in a mirror dimly. But someday, then, in this future time, we'll see face to face. Now I know my knowledge is in part. It's incomplete. But then I'm going to know fully, even as I have been fully known. For now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. We don't fully understand the complexity and the magnitude of what love is. It's like looking into a mirror. At that time, they didn't have like glass mirrors like we do. They had like polished brass or polished metal. And so it was never perfect. It was like seeing into a mirror dimly. But the, there will come a time that we will see it complete, it complete. But for now, we have like a puzzle that's missing pieces. And the good news is, he says that at one point he was childish. He thought, he acted, he spoke childishly, and he grew spiritually more mature. So we have a puzzle that someday it will be complete, but God has equipped us with the ability to add pieces of it in our lives, to see it begin to blossom and grow. Faith, hope, and love are the marks of a believer, but the chief of them. People are going to know you by how you love. Paul wants us to experience that same spiritual maturing that he experienced. We even see that with Jesus. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so in walking his footsteps, we are called to grow and mature and to be wiser making better choices, having a deeper understanding of what love is tomorrow than we do today. And if you want to go back to the definition of love, week one is online. You can check it out. We had to redefine what love was. So that's our topic for tonight, maturing out of childish ways into mature Christians. Every week I'm asking you the question, what are you willing to do to have the marriage someday that you've always hoped for? And every week, You've been challenged with something new. In the first week, were you willing to unlearn and redefine what love is itself? In the second week, waffles and spaghetti, are you willing to embrace someone else's differences and love them for how, who they are? Week number three, are you willing to sacrifice? That was love and respect, remember? Are you willing to sacrifice your own wants and desires? What are you willing to do to have the marriage you always hoped for? Are you willing to redefine love? Are you willing to love someone who's different? Are you willing to sacrifice your own wants? Tonight, are you willing to grow first before you jump into 
those realms. So I ask you right now, right now, today, where are you in your spiritual walk? Are you maturing? Are you stretching? Are you growing? Because we have an enemy that is out to get you. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's his goal. And he's going to look for every way that he can to get a foothold into your life to break you down and to make you ineffective for the kingdom of heaven. He particularly wants to rob you of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, after 15 years of youth pastoring, the number one place that I have seen the enemy pull students that are on fire for Jesus away from their faith is in romantic relationships. Again and again and again and again. I've seen friends. I've seen getting into drugs and alcohol. I've seen all kinds of stuff. But it is the most common, bar none, that a romantic relationship is a very vulnerable place for the enemy to get his grimy, nasty fingers in to your life. And so I'm challenging you tonight to grow first. To begin to let go of some childish ideas to pursue spiritual maturity. Why is a romantic relationship such a vulnerable place? I like what Frank Herbert, he wrote Dune, which is the number one science fiction selling book of all time. He wrote, reason is the first casualty to strong emotion. Anytime there is a strong emotion, many times it's reason, logic, the wisdom to choose wisely that falls to the side. And the enemy knows that full of that that dating is full of romantic feelings that are just wild and unexpected and they're big and so they are a great opportunity to catch you with your guard down. Satan is hoping that you're going to ignore reason and the power to choose wisely, to chase an emotional high above everything else. He wants to make you ineffective. And you know what? He doesn't even have to destroy you. Maybe he just needs to use a romantic relationship to distract you. And he's made you ineffective. So my challenge tonight, if you want to have the marriage you've always hoped for, are you willing to grow a little bit? There's a cultural myth that is perpetrated by the 47% failing culture. And it is this idea. To have true love and a fulfilling marriage, you must find the right person. And I want to tell you it's a myth. Your relationship success will not be based on who you get, but it will be based on who you are. Follow me in this, because unless you are already the right person, that right person can be stated in front of you and you would never even recognize them. You need to grow and mature so that you can have a healthy and successful relationship. The Bible itself is much more concerned with being the right person than getting the right person. It doesn't talk about romance a lot, but it talks about spiritual growth and knowing Jesus more constantly. And so we're going to put the spotlight on where Scripture puts the spotlight, on our growing. God wants to take every one of us and put us on the potter's wheel and through big and small changes over time mold us into a clear image of Jesus Christ. God intends to work on you first before trusting you with somebody else. He's not looking to risk his sons and daughters with you until he's put some work into you. Are you following me? So my challenge, are you willing to grow? 
And of course, of course, finding someone that we're compatible with, choosing who our one person is going to be is important. But I don't want you to miss what is the greatest importance, and that is that God is working in you first. Part of giving up childish ways is giving up our self-dependency. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Most of you have probably memorized this. If you haven't, man, you should. It's good stuff. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He'll make your way straight. He'll make clear your direction. And so if you're like, Lord, I don't know what you want from me. I'm not sure when I'm going to meet that girl or that guy. I'm telling you, if you will put your attention fully into the Lord and you are willing to abdicate your trust in yourself and put your trust on him, he's going to make that clear. And you know what? You're going to dodge a whole lot of really messy, heart-wrenching breakups. You're going to start weaving around many of the decisions that your friends are going to regret for the rest of their lives. I'm telling you, when that time comes that you have to look your fiance in the face and say, I need to tell you about my past, you want that to be a short list. I want to give you the tools to navigate. And we just go to scripture for those things. And it begins with trusting in the Lord. And allow him to make our path straight. You don't have to try hard in the romance department. Stop trying so hard. Here, I've got some reasons why you don't have to try so hard. If you start asking yourself, why am I feeling this pressure? If you start getting anxious to feel that romance, to have a girlfriend, to have a boyfriend, ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Is it because you're feeling lonely? Incomplete? Are you needing validity and you're hoping that being in a romantic relationship will make you feel better about yourself? Because God's plan is so worth waiting on. So here's the reasons to stop trying so hard. One, pushing too fast results with being with the wrong person. Man, you're just wasting your heart. You're wasting your energy, your time. Guys, you're wasting your money. There's no point in wasting your money on someone that's just like a two-date-and-go kind of person. It's worth slowing down. And you know what? Your heart is way more valuable than anything in your pocketbook. And after you go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, you start losing pieces of your heart. And I'm telling you, it starts getting easier to jump into the next relationship and a whole lot harder to commit to it. Because you have all these broken pieces that are scattered. And it takes a while to heal from that. Don't get stuck in this idea of, what if this is my only chance? I'm not that good looking. I'm not that popular. I'm not, etc., 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 etc. So what if this is the only person that likes me back? That's not trusting the Lord with your whole heart. That's not, that's, that's totally leaning on your own understanding. Don't get caught in that. Pushing too fast. Trying too hard may result with your being with the wrong kind of person. Number two, pushing too hard, trying too hard, makes you come off needy. And if someone of quality that you actually want attracted to you, it's like bug repellent to them. Like, whoa, I don't want this neediness in my life. Someone of quality is going to be repelled by that. So don't try too hard. It's not worth it. Stay chill. Third, you'll go emotionally broke. I already talked about this a couple minutes ago. Then you start giving your heart away over and over and over and over again. After a while, it gets calloused, I'm telling you. It gets hardened. You start feeling like this depression. 
I had a girl in our youth group in Florida, and her mom was married five times. And that started a trend in her daughter. Her, her daughter just goes boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend. What is that setting up in this girl for her future? It's not good because she's created a habit of needing the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. What does that look like, like for her future marriage? She's going to need to submit her life totally to the Lord. Number four, why not try so hard? It throws off your priorities. You start seeking fulfillment instead of seeking Jesus, the Jesus who gives fulfillment. Have you, <laughs> and whenever you try too hard and it throws off your priorities, those important relationships in your life start suffering. Relationship with your parents, your friends, your mentors, they start suffering. How many of you, maybe you don't want to show, your hand, show of hands, how many of you had a friend that started dating someone and they totally ditched spending time with you? You're like, sucks. You're like, that's me. I did that to my friends. Trying too hard throws off your priorities. Number five, trying too hard shows a lack of faith in your heavenly father. Do you actually trust him? You trusted him enough to give him your heart, to give him your life, to trust him with salvation. Do you trust him with this in your life? It's a sign. If you're willing, if you're trying so hard, you're not putting your trust in him, it's a sign of your spiritual immaturity. Trust in the Lord. Stop leaning on your understanding. Put him first, and he's going to direct your steps. Once upon a time, there was a king, and his kingdom, small but very wealthy, was located in the horseshoe bend of a river. So the river kind of wrapped halfway around his kingdom. And so he commissioned two engineers, two bridge-building engineers, to build two different bridges. A young man began building a bridge on the east side, and an older man began building on the west. Both of them made up their plans, and they came before the king, and they both proposed a 24-month bridge-building plan. Meanwhile, and totally unrelated, the ruler of the kingdom of the north sent messengers and proposed to this king that it would be a great idea to have a banquet that celebrates all the alliances that they have formed with all the surrounding nations. Let's get together and just show that we have unity. Wouldn't that be great? So the king goes to the young man and says, look, I know you're only 18 months in, but can you finish in two weeks for me for the, in time for this banquet? And the young man wants the notoriety. He wants the fame. He wants the, the money that would come from pleasing his king. And he says, absolutely, I'm going to get it done. So the king goes to the old man on the west and says, Will you get this done? And the old man says, no. I'm not going to finish it in two weeks. And the king points and says, look, there's, there's the pylons, and you already have a walking bridge over. It looks fine. It's totally going to be fine. And the old man refuses. The king is furious, so furious that he tells the old man, not only am I going to take away your wages for the rest of your working time, but if you stop working on this, I'm going to throw you in the dungeon. So the old man agrees to work without wages, but he refuses to change his timeline. So the evening of the banquet comes, and all the surrounding nations all come, and they all cross over this east bridge, and they marvel at how beautiful it is, and they come to the great hall, and they're having this wonderful dinner. And that night, there's an assassination attempt on the king's life by, drumroll, the ruler of the north, who proposed this whole thing to begin with. He's sneaking in. So he escapes in the night, and the king gathers his finest soldiers 
and arms them in their finest chariots and they head out to pursue the, the saboteur. And as they cross the bridge, it collapses. And because of the weight of their army, most of his men drowned in the river. So not only is his army depleted, but it will now be months before he can cross the West Bridge. And by then, the ruler of the North will be well safe and fortified within his own city. Becoming a spiritual adult takes construction by the Holy Spirit. He's building maturity and it's going to take time in your lives. Because you need to be able to hold up the weight of adult decisions. And dating and choosing someone who's going to be your one for the rest of your life is a heavy adult decision. But your enemy, Satan, wants you to make adult decisions with spiritual childishness, maturity. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to finish what he's working in you. Be accepting of patience, of waiting. Have the humility to admit that right now you're under construction and have the wisdom to choose growth. There may be some areas in your life that you're still incomplete and under construction. But as I read this list of signs that you may not be willing to date, or not willing, you might be like, yeah, but you may not be ready to date, don't stress out too much. Don't stress out too much if you're like, oh man, I, that, that's not me. Because every mature believer that you know has grown through where you're at. So don't stress too much. All right, here we go. Number one, and this is super practical. Your, parent, your parents feel you're not ready to date yet. Boom, there you go. If you're not going to honor your parents, you're not going to honor the God that put your parents into your life. Number two, super practical. You have no resources yet. You don't have a job. You don't have a car, your driver's license, whatever. If you don't have resources, you're not ready to date. Guys, if Elevate is your date night, that should, you're not ready to date. Number three. <clears throat> Please catch the vision on this because this is so beautiful and important. If you don't have a purpose bigger than yourself yet, Ron Luce, who's kind of like a youth ministry hero, he once said that if you don't have a purpose that's bigger than yourself, you just become your own purpose. Imagine this. Imagine you are living your life with you as your own purpose. And you start dating someone and you are saying to them, I live my life for myself. You are welcome to come in and make me your purpose too. Listen to how selfish that is. Welcome to my life. I hope you make it all about me. You need to have a purpose that is beyond you so that you can welcome them in and lock arms and say, we're going together on this journey. We're going on an adventure. Welcome to my life. It's a roller coaster. It's crazy. And so is your life. We're going in the same direction. Have a purpose bigger than yourself. Number four, a sign that you may not be ready to date is that you are ingenuine. You're not yourself when you're around the person that you like. This is a sign of immaturity that you're not comfortable in your own skin yet. If you're having to put on a facade, put on a front so that they might like you more, you're not ready to date. You want to step into a relationship with them meeting you. Or you've doomed the relationship already. Because suddenly that facade's going to be taken away and they're going to be like, wait, this isn't what I signed up for. You're not who I signed up for. Number five, you may not be ready to date if you have a significant problem with lust. You will never be able to see someone's real value and you will never be able to love purely if you have an iceberg of lust in your life. 
I want to say this several times in this series, but girls, you may need to pry a little bit, but if he is into pornography, run. Get out of that relationship. Girls, I love you too much not to tell you. Get out. You may not be ready to date if you have a significant problem with lust. Number six, you may not be ready to date if you believe that a dating relationship will make you feel fulfilled. Here's an example of someone that feels that having a boyfriend or girlfriend will make them feel fulfilled. They're someone who is often willing to plunge immediately into a romantic relationship with the first person who likes them back. I mentioned it already, but I'm telling you, I witnessed it over and over and over and over again. Someone finally likes me. They're obviously the one forever. Y'all, there's three billion people of the opposite sex. Someone's bound to like you. You don't have to marry them. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Be careful. People that are desperate will often compromise themselves to be, quote-unquote, loved. If you're not willing to take it slow, you're not ready. Another symptom of thinking that being in a relationship will make you feel fulfilled is if you're convinced that having a boyfriend or girlfriend will make you finally happy. Actual quote from a student. Dom, if I don't have a girlfriend, I'm just not happy. I was like, dude. You don't need to have a girlfriend. I feel sorry for that girl. Why? Because what is that saying? It's saying, I have you in my life to live to make me happy. As soon as you stop making me happy, we're obviously not supposed to be together anymore. You hear the selfishness in that? You don't want that in your life. If If that's you, wait. It's worth waiting for to be a complete person, to find your identity in Christ. If you meet someone like that, It's not worth it, guys. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to navigate you through a minefield. Please, pay attention. Number seven, you may not be ready to date if Jesus isn't the center of your life. Jesus must be your number one, and you are looking for your number two. You're not looking for number one. Jesus holds you, captivates your attention. You're trusting Him with all of your heart. He is why you wake up in the morning. He is the last person you talk to when you go to sleep at night. You have given your life to Him. And you know what? He may opt to bring in a number two if He feels that He doesn't have to share you too much. I'm telling you, this is the number one thing that pulls students away from Jesus is number two comes in and their focus switches and they abandon number one. Jesus must be the center of your life. But don't be stressed out. I'm telling you, if you're like, oh man, I need growth in some of these areas. You're not failing at life. It's okay. You're just having to admit that you're under construction. And every mature believer has grown through where you are now. In fact, this season of waiting and growth, maybe this season of singleness, is actually really, really good. Really healthy. And I know singleness sounds scary because we have a culture that's obsessed with romantic relationships. But remember, culture is a loser at love. It has no idea what they're talking about. 
Singleness is actually beautiful. Consider this. God may be asking some people to be single all their lives. But he has asked everybody at some point in their lives to be single. Maybe that's before marriage. Maybe that's being widowed. But God has called everyone at some point in their life to be single. And so we need to take those times and embrace them. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26 through 28, and then we're going to jump to 32 through 35. Verse 26. Because of this present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. If a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have trouble. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can devote can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do, pay attention to this. Here's the goal of the whole thing. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So you, whenever you signed up, when you said, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life, your goal in life is to serve the Lord at your very best. Will you serve him best as single? Will you serve him best as married? That's between you and the Lord to decide. That's for you to say, Lord, you're my all. I'll let you take care of the other half. Let me know. The purpose of singleness is to be free from distractions. You have better focus, less interferences, less demands on your time and energy. You're not divided. You're able to take more risks. It's not actually a biblical rule that everyone is supposed to marry. In fact, you should be surrendered enough to the Lord to ask Him and not just to accept it. I know, heavy, right? Check this out. Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of you know this. This is God speaking. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And we're on the subject of singles and singleness. Here is a great list of three things that are busted myths about singleness. And I'll just, I'll just read it for you. Have you ever heard that single people are miserable and lonely and die alone in their empty apartments where they're eaten by their cats? <laughs> what a great opening line. It's not just the cat thing that's a myth. All of those insulting claims about the lives of single people are wrong. Myth number one, singles are less happy than married people. First, most single people are not miserable, not even close. On the average, single people are, are always on the happy end of the scale. That's true in every study that I know of. Second, getting married hardly changes someone's happiness at all. Because who you are is more important than who you get. You have to be a complete person first. Some married people experience a tiny blip of happiness around the time of the wedding. On an 11-point scale, they are about one quarter of one point happier. But that is just the honeymoon effect. They go back to being as happy or as unhappy as they were when they were single. Because being is better than getting. 
Myth number two, single people favor solitude. They're just loners. They hide in the shadows. Sometimes people say that single people are alone and they don't have anyone. But that's just a myth. Research shows that single people are often have many people in their lives who are important to them. Often they have a whole network of friends and relatives, and they stay connected with them for decades. After all, they have the time to forge many diverse relationships, which married sorts often don't. I understand that. Have four kids, have no friends. It's kind of the way it is. <laughs> Myth number three. Single people don't live as long as married people. <laughs> Where do they dig this stuff up? The longest-running study in longevity on record started in 1921 with more than 1,011-year-olds. Scientists have kept track of these people for as long as they lived. The people who lived the longest were those who stayed single and those who married and stayed married. People who divorced or who divorced and remarried had shorter lives. It was consistency, not marriage, that mattered. So maybe in God's plan for some people to be single all their lives. But it is absolutely true that everyone will spend some portion or portions of their lives single. Embrace it. It's worth grabbing onto. It's worth having a season where you're not distracted or divided, where you can submit completely to the Lord. That hopeful promise about Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for, for good and hope and not disaster. Let's read the verse before that. Because the verse before that shows that God is actually talking to people that were in a long season of waiting. Jeremiah 29, 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for disaster. Give you a future and a hope. And if this is your first time hearing about that, he's talking about 70 years of their nation being in slavery to the big superpower of Babylon. And God's like, yes, that's going to happen, but I'm going to bring you out. And it's an incredible story. Read your Bibles. It's great. God was doing something in the middle of their waiting time. So take advantage of seasons of singleness in your life. Stop trying so hard. You're just messing yourself up. Ask yourself. Ask in prayer. Heavenly Father, during this season of singleness, how do you want me to grow? How can I serve you to the fullest? Those are questions of spiritual maturity. Maybe you recognize, man, Dom gave me this list and it was frustrating. Maybe I'm not ready to date. Or maybe your parents are riding you, they're, they're asking you to, to put a pause on it. Maybe you're feeling led by the Lord to take a season of singleness. That was, that was my wife's story. God was like, you need to stop dating. And then it was at the end of that that God's like, here's Dom. And I'm like, ah! Maybe God's asking you to take a season of singleness to reorient your priorities on him. But there is one thing I want to talk about specifically. It is a strong indicator that you need a season of singleness if you're dealing with sexual sin in your life. And that could be pornography, it could be lust around the opposite sex, it could be homosexual desires. I had a, a youth pastor friend who told me about this kid in his youth group, and it just struck me to the core. It was so beautiful. And his kid, his kid was dealing with just being gay and trying to serve Jesus at the same time. And he came to this conclusion, and he told him, and he said, you know what? I know what's right and what's wrong. And so I want Jesus more than I want a relationship. 
And I was like, that is amazing. That is a heart that says Jesus is my number one. Period. And so maybe God is calling you to a season of singleness for the Lord to reorient some things in your life. To redirect your attention to being on Him holy. And I'm going to tell you a truth. Marriage does not fix a lust problem. You will deal with the sin of lust just as much as a married person as you were as a single. It doesn't fix it. Because who you are is so much more important than who you're going to get. So here are some opportunities. Here are some areas that you may be under construction that I challenge you to grow. Look, after the bonfire next week, we're going to jump in. What are some godly dating principles? We'll actually talk about dating. And then the week after that, we'll talk about who do you look for? How can you assess? Is this a person that I'm compatible with? What are some traits and so on to look for? And I know I'm kind of slowing things down by talking about who we are first, but that's where Scripture puts the spotlight. That's what I want to focus on tonight. And here are seven things. Pick out just one. Just pick out one that sort of the Holy Spirit rings in your ears to ask him to come and take in your life, to surrender to him. The potter wants to put you up there on the wheel and he wants to mold you. He's building a bridge in your life to carry weight. Number one, are your priorities in order? Matthew 6.21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you can't make a wise decision between social media and your school studies, you're not ready to make decisions in the dating world. You need to have your priorities right, putting your treasure, your time, your energy, and your money in what is actually most important in your life. If you're wasting your time, energy, and money in things that are not very important, you need to reassess. Your number one focus should be Jesus. Your number two should be your family. And then number three should be work, ministry, friends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, a respect for authority. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. These are your parents, your teachers, your mentors, your spiritual leaders. These are politicians. God help us all. That God has placed these people in our lives on purpose. And he's asked us to honor them and respect them. If you can't respect authority in your life, how will you ever respect an equal? The reality is, if you're always looking to be rebellious to the authorities in your life, you're going to just try to run over someone that is an equal in your life. You need to have a respect for authority. Number three, humility. Philippians 2, 3-4. In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Humility says, I'm going to put more attention on you than I do on myself. This allows for selflessness, for forgiveness, and for honesty. The only way you're going to get out of arguments healthier than you were before the argument is if you have the humility in an argument to be more concerned with being good than being right all the time. If you have pride, it's going to be pride that whispers in your ear that it's easier to start over than to reconcile. One lawyer boasts that he can sell you a divorce for $499. The world makes it a lot easier to start over than to reconcile. If you're going to have the marriage you've always hoped for, you're going to need humility. Number four, self-control. 
1 Corinthians 9, 26-27. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. You can't just do what you feel. If you catch yourself just doing whatever your emotions feel, this may be an area that you need the Lord to put under construction, to take some time and let Him build in you before you're ready to jump into other things. A lack of self-control leads to abuse, infidelity, pain, loneliness, etc., etc., etc. You need self-control in your life. Number five. This may seem not important, but I'm telling you, this is going to be big for you. Predetermined boundaries in being physical with the opposite sex. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. That's the high price of Jesus Christ's blood. So glorify God in your body. You need to make a decision now how much or what of your body you want to save for your spouse only. You need to set up some boundaries. You need to ask yourself, what am I going to do if the person that I'm out on a date with has different boundaries than mine? Are you willing to communicate those boundaries? Are you willing to stand for those boundaries? Because you're always in the back of your mind going, wait, the only purpose of dating is to find my one for the rest of my life. How much do I want to give them? How many people do I want to say had how much of me before I said yes to them? And I do forever. It's a heavy question. Number six, integrity. Integrity, (laughs) I just happen to have, Integrity means same strength throughout. So if you had a piece of rope, how many cuts in this rope does it take to compromise the whole thing? This is three feet long. What if this was 70 feet long? How many cuts would it take? What if it was 200,000 feet long? How many cuts would it take? You need to have integrity where you have consistency in your character, in your honesty. When people are around, when people aren't around, you have integrity. Proverbs 28.6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man in his crooked ways. Integrity means that you are guarded in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words. Same strength throughout. And number seven, your relationship with Jesus. The rest of those traits, you don't have to worry about memorizing those seven. The rest of these traits will fall into place if you will marinate yourself in the presence of Jesus. If you will pour scripture into your life and hide it in your heart. The rest of them will just be side effects to who you are as he, as God molds you in the image of himself. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Listen to some of these words, face to face, to know and to be known. This suggests that love that this is talking about isn't an it, but a who. This is, this is talking about that I may understand who love is dimly now, but the day is going to come that the veil will be torn back and I will see him face to face. The very definition, the very expression of love. Who is Jesus? The one who I will someday fully know, but has all along fully known me. 
pursue a relationship with him. Allow him to start putting more of the pieces of the puzzle in so that you, your understanding of love and how to give it becomes fuller. More complete. A stronger bridge between two people. This pursuit of spiritual maturity is not chasing some sort of spiritual inner peace about growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to have the marriage you've always hoped for? Are you willing to be under construction and to grow? Quick recap. Becoming a spiritual adult is more than age, but surrender to the potter, to Jesus Christ. It's more important to be the right person than to get the right person. Stop trying so hard and trust your Heavenly Father. Singleness is beautiful and should be embraced. And finally, pursue Jesus and all the other character traits will follow. So here's my two challenges for the week. One, if you don't already, begin the discipline of spending a little time with Jesus every day. Have some God times. Read a few verses of scripture. Spend a couple minutes in prayer. Journal a little bit. Speak to him and then shut up and listen. Let him begin to speak back. He'll speak through his word. He'll speak to the Holy Spirit in that still, small voice. Challenge number two, pick one of those seven. I'll read them to you. Priorities in order, respect for authority, humility, self-control, predetermined boundaries and being physical, integrity in a relationship with Jesus. Pick one of those seven to surrender to the Lord, to allow him to put you under construction this week. I talk too long for e-groups. <laughs> Do y'all want to try to have fast e-groups? I think it would be awesome. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to skip Sam and Caroline. Sorry, guys. I want to call up the e-group leaders. Come on up. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.